So, hey, quick, a quick announcement, and by quick, I don't really mean quick, uh, but I want to share with you a little bit of an announcement about our schedule so you can know what's going to be happening in a couple of months, and I know we don't like schedule changes, that's, that's not always a positive thing for everybody, but here's the good news. Uh, the change does not have to affect you. You, you ultimately will be in, in control of, of whether you choose to, to be involved with or connected with any kind of change. Uh, so you're, you're not gonna, you are not gonna have to change anything. But we have, uh, right now two worship services, you know, 915 and 1045. And of course, with each worship service, we have a full life group hour. And, uh, 915 and 1045, has worked really, really, really well for us uh, the last year and a half or so. So when we were working through this, we know we wanted to leave that untouched, un- unchanged. Uh, our challenge is where and how we make a third service happen. And yes, we do need a third service. Uh, we need that to manage the attendance that we have now and even more just to be prepared for for growth and having room to reach new people. And uh, for a long time, we had a, a third service inside of our Sunday morning schedule. And uh, we had some very specific, very concrete reasons that we really wanted to try to make a third service work outside of Sunday morning. By that, a, a Saturday night or a Sunday night, a, a Sunday afternoon. And, and funny enough, all those reasons still exist. There would still be very good reason to kind of create some breathing room on Sunday morning and have that third service somewhere else. Uh, but it appears that people that come to the Heights believe you should do that on Sunday morning. I don't know what's wrong with us, but we, we come on Sunday morning and we just really have not been able to make any traction with a third service at one of these other times. And so the long and short of it is we are bringing the thir- a third service back to uh, our Sunday morning schedule. That will start on September 8th, so that's two months from now, but it'll start on September 8th and we'll have us our first service at 8 o'clock. And uh, nobody has, some people like that. Did I just hear a whistle? Yeah, go ahead and let it out. It comforts me right now, really. It, seriously, it does. Uh, so some, you know, some of you may not change anything about your schedule, but you know, even if you stay in your current schedule, 8 o'clock is an option there on maybe on some of those Sundays where you got to leave town or something's happening and you'll be able to slip in here a little bit earlier. So we'll have just the worship service. We're not uh, adding a full life group offering at 8 o'clock. We actually have a handful of adult classes at, at 8 o'clock right now, and those remain unchanged, uh, unaffected by this. But we will not offer the, the full spectrum of our age groups at 8 o'clock. This is just about adding the worship hour. So our worship will be at 8 o'clock, 915 1045, and all three services will be the same. Obviously, the message, but also the style of worship through the morning. Now, what we'll do is we'll have a rotation kind of in our, in our worship style. We'll have our, our choir and orchestra most of the time, because that's what most of us have chosen. And so three, four weeks at a time, we'll do what you just watched. We'll do our choir and orchestra. We'll lead us in worship. We'll have a Sunday where we add our multi-generational worship, which y'all have come to love this past uh, spring and, and, and winter. But that's when our children and our youth join the adults 
uh, and the orchestra and leading us in worship. And then every four, five, six weeks, we'll have our band lead us in worship. And all of these are goals to have excellent, God-honoring, God-exalting worship and worship that covers the whole spectrum of our church family, reaches out to the spectrum of of people that we want to reach. So that will all begin on September 8th. Something else we're going to start in September, probably for many of you think, well, I I didn't need to know that, or that's kind of small, but uh, is what we're going to do on Wednesday nights. All of our Wednesday night scheduling uh, starts at at 6.30 in the evening. But the first Wednesday of the month, uh, we're going to start with 20 minutes of prayer. We have been working for years at creating what I would call church-wide time of prayer. We have a lot of little pockets throughout our church, but a church-wide time where, and and this is an important word, I think, for uh, me, for us, where hundreds of people, not a dozen, but hundreds of people can gather and pray. And we've done that by starting before everything else starts or trying to do it after or while other things are going on and and then we don't ever get hundreds in here to, to pray. So on the first Wednesday, starting in September... Uh, of the month, we'll, we'll take the first 20 minutes. Youth will pray in their area, children in theirs, and then adults from all over will come in here. And it's only 20 minutes. That's not a long time. And, and part of that is an encouragement to those of you who maybe aren't, aren't used to doing something like that, that you say, well, maybe I can try 20 minutes. But it'll be a powerful, it'll be a fast-moving 20 minutes. There'll be actually a variety of things going on in how we cover that 20 minutes, of a variety of prayer experiences. I, I think of all the things we're talking about with this fall, I'm most excited about that. Because don't you think we should be a church that has hundreds of people gathering to pray? And so I think we've created a schedule that will... Go ahead and clap for that, y'all. Don't, yeah, don't get halfway there and then kind of pull out. So uh, we, we're, we're real excited about that opportunity, again, starting the, the, the first Wednesday. I know these kind of raises some, some questions, or what, what about this, or what about that. Our big goal today was get the big announcement out, and, and now we have two months. And so our, our ministry leaders will kind of come up to speed on what this means in specific areas, or if that's a change for them, and you'll, you'll be getting those questions answered, although I hope it's kind of simple to understand. The bulk of our schedule stays exactly the same, and you now have the addition of, of the option of an 8 o'clock service. So all that starting in, in, uh, in two months. So thank you for letting me uh, take the time to say that. And of course, I say thank you for letting me. If I was sitting there, I say, did I have a choice? Did, <laughs> I don't remember you asking if you could take all that time to share that, but wanted to get all that out there and hope you are excited about, hope you'll be praying about when we go to implement all that in September. But now let's go ahead and do what we are here to do, and that's continue our worship of the Lord. You know, we worship when we pray, we worship when we sing, and you know what? We worship when we be still and quiet and we devote ourselves attention to the Word of God. Amen? That's an act of expressing, hey, God, here's what your voice means to me. Here's what you speaking means to me. I'm going I'm to listen. So it is an act of worship as we continue in this time. Hey, I want you to, to think this morning about some of the habits that are in your life. Good habits, bad habits. I think we've got a lot of habits in the middle. They're not good or bad. They're just, they're just habit. What are the habits that you have in your life? You know, habits are those things. They happen, you can almost add the phrase, no matter what. 
Doesn't matter if you're having a good day or a bad day. You're sick. You're healthy. You're on vacation. You're at home. This happens. You know, what, what are, and we got a wide range, I mean, from running to smoking, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things we do as habits. Like when I think of my life, I think, pro, and, and of course, I'm going to talk about the good habits. I'm not going to tell you my bad habits, but like, you know, like some good habits, like prayer and running. For, for me, that's two things pretty, pretty locked into my life. You know, they, they kind of help me prepare for a day physically, spiritually, good thing. Now, I, I do have some less than positive. I mean, for me, I, I imagine I'm not alone in this. Ice cream is a bit of a habit. You know what I'm talking about? It, a matter of fact, I would say almost if you're talking about bluebell, now an addiction. And uh, I don't even care if you've licked the top of it. I'll, it's bring it. I'll take it. I'm good with it. That's how committed I am to, to blue. If you've got a, a, a tub of ice cream, you think somebody lit, bring it to me. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll get that resolved for you. Uh, so, you know, we got all these, and we might think of our habits in these kinds of categories. There's the good ones, the neutral ones, the bad ones. You know, m- my focus today is not so much on the neutral or the bad, but what are the good habits in your life? What are the good habits that you think could possibly sustain you, give you strength, give you direction when a crisis hits. Because remember, a habit is something that's locked in place no matter what's going on. Boy, we're going to look at a great life today that's going to come up on a great crisis, and we're going to see how his habits guide him through that. And we're looking at truly one of the favorite stories, one of the most well-known stories of the Bible as we continue to work through the whole Bible in 2019. Turn with me today to Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, turn there. Not sure where Daniel is. Uh, find the Psalms. That's kind of in the middle of your Bible there. We kind of can find that pretty easy. And then just start going to the right. Now, you'll travel through a lot of books, but you'll see some real big ones as you're thumbing through there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel's tucked in right behind Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 6. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you. This is a long chapter. I would rarely do this much reading out loud because you just you lose whole like 50% of the congregation. But this is such an exciting story. I think maybe we'll sustain maybe 10, 15% losses, Okay. You ready to hang on with me? Daniel chapter 6, let me begin in verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's entrance. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Man, that's a pretty powerful testimony coming from your enemies. Can you imagine your enemies talking about you like this? Verse 5, so they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. 
So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions." And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. And you could almost finish that sentence by saying, having no clue what just happened to him, having no clue what he had just done. Verse 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, and I just follow this next line, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, He went home and he knelt down as usual, hear the word, as usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he'd always done, hear that phrase, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house. Now let me stop right there. These are his enemies. They hate him. They make this law. The first day of the law, what do they do? They go to Daniel's house. Do you know why? They count on him praying. You understand, folks? Could your enemies count on you being faithful to God? If if they wanted to catch you, if they wanted to find you, could they say, hey, how does he serve his God? How does he love his God? We can count on, no matter what's going on, we can count on him doing this. Verse 13, I'm dropping down just a verse or two. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. Right here is where he's going, oh my gosh, I just did this. You know, he's realizing what's happened. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king because they expected him to already be, you know, lion food. And so they go to him that night and said, hey, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. You know, he actually anticipates there might, maybe... I don't know, be a chance he comes out of that? You, why, why would the, what we would believe to be an unbeliever, why would he have that kind of anticipation? Well, remember, not that long ago, now we haven't covered it in the series we're doing right now, but just a few chapters, this empire, these leaders have actually seen what? Three people thrown into the, to the fire. Don't be afraid to say it. <laughs> they were thrown into the fire, and what happened? They came out. Their God rescued them. That story's still circulating. People know about that. And so it could be that Darius is kind of, hey, I know your God's done some fancy tricks before. You know, maybe this will work out for you. So verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and he couldn't sleep at all that night. Keep in mind, Darius actually likes Daniel. 
I mean, I think they're friends, and you know, he's, he's pretty concerned about all this. Very early the next morning, the king got up, and he hurried to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out, Daniel, servant of the living God. Do you realize the faith it takes to put your head into a lion's den and ask that question? I mean, honestly, what, don't you just anticipate? He's dead. You know, I'm mourning, I'm grieving, the grief's already started. When are we going to do the funeral? I mean, he doesn't know what's going to, you know, if there's going to be a voice, but he, he, you know, he asks, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Long live the king. I mean, could you just imagine the first syllable? He spoke. He's alive, man. Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. That's literally not a scratch. Get it? Okay, we're a little slow. I guess it's humid. For he had trusted his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along, this is kind of a rough part here, along with their wives and their children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. You know, that's actually kind of an important line. You know, reading back into this, obviously, not everybody's the, you know, real hip on, on God being a miracle working God, God having this kind of power. And we might kind of wonder, was there some kind of trick pulled here? I mean, we know Darius doesn't want him to. Maybe they filled the lion's den with, you know, some cubs, you know, some little tiny ones. They're not going to harm anybody. They're not going to do anything. Or, or may, maybe they put in the, like the really old lions, you know, no teeth, no claws. They gave them a bunch of, you know, pudding before they threw Daniel in. Who, you know, maybe there's a reason. And yet we see instantly, oh, no, they've got teeth. They've got claws. They're hungry. Not only can they kill a person, they can kill a lot of people. Okay, these are, these are real lions that were in there. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and langu- lang- nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and he saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Man, that's our God, folks. That's the God we know. Man, he's a God who does miracles. Praise God for that. Man, he does miracles. He, he rescues. And I want to tell you something. I don't think that's what Daniel 6 is about. I don't, I don't think the big thing that God wants us to see here is the miracle that he can do. I know that sounds strange, but I think what God wants us to see in this is not the miracle so much as the miraculous life he has for you and I to live. So we've got a guy new on the scene by the name of, of Darius. And actually, there's some real question about who this person in Scripture is because we can't sync him with somebody in history. 
We, we can't find this name. Now, the person we do tend to know and credit for this is a guy named Cyrus. There's Darius the Mede. There's Cyrus the Persian. I actually did not read the last line of chapter 6, but it refers to both of them, Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. You'll also remember this empire is called the Empire of the Medes and the Persians. And so as we try to figure out who who Darius is, I am of the opinion, and that's all it is, is an opinion, and it's not even the most popularly held opinion, but I am of the opinion that Cyrus and Darius are the same person. And it was actually common to refer to kings, emperors by different names. And since you have maybe a name that was more for the Mede side and a name maybe more for the Persian side, so I actually think Cyrus and Darius are the same person person. Regardless of who it is, this empire has defeated Babylon. And this leader is now kind of reorganizing, not kind of, he is reorganizing the empire. And it says there are 120 provinces. I'll use maybe words that we would be more a part of our vocabulary. He divides the empire, which is massive, Folks, this empire stretches from the northern, eastern, uh, or northern and, and uh, yeah, eastern side of Africa all the way to India. So this, this is a massive chunk of the earth that, that Darius is over, and he separates it, divides it up into 120 states. Now, not like states like the United States, where each state has a little bit of its own sovereignty and, and can do its own thing. No, there's, there's none of that. Everybody answers to one person, Darius. He's the emperor. He's the king. He, so he, he separates, divides it up into 120 states, puts over each state a governor, and he wants every one of those governors governors answering to him, doing his will, his bidding, and 120 is a lot. So he puts three people over the the governors. We might call them viceroys or or vice presidents. And so these three leaders are over the 120. I say all that to say, if you haven't figured it out yet, Daniel is way up the food chain. I mean, he's at the top there running an, an empire, And what we learn, what we just read is, whatever he was doing, he kind of distinguished himself. It it might be that he and Darius just thought alike. It might be that they were just friends. It might be just everything Daniel said was right. It worked. It was always good advice. And so Darius is clearly making some kind of plan that everybody's aware of where where Daniel's going to go to the... Daniel's going to go to the top. I don't know if that means the other two are being fired. I don't know if it's going to be Daniel and then he's over the other two. But here's the bottom line. They don't want any of it. They want want Daniel out of here now. Not just the two, but sounds like a good number of the the governors and other leaders. They they, they want to kill him. And, And, you know, some of that you might chalk up to jealousy. He got promoted, I didn't. Some of it might be jealousy. Most of it most of it's probably racism. I, I mean, anti-Semitism isn't something that just began in our day. Anti-Semitism goes back hundreds, goes back thousands of years. There was a very strong anti-Semite, anti-Jew feeling in, the, in this empire, in this world. And not only is there an anti-Semitism, but that empire had conquered the Jews. Wait a minute. What you, I mean, they're kind of thinking, Darius, you're kind of an idiot, aren't you? You, you don't take a person we all hate. You don't take a person we've conquered and put them over the empire. I mean, in their mind, this, this made no sense at all. And what they were doing made all the sense in the world. And so 
they want to they take them out. And man, I love what comes next. I love what it says there in verse 5. Look at this, folks. We shall not find any ground. We're not going to be able to trip him up. We're not going to be able to point to something. You know, enemies look, right? You ever had an enemy look into your life? I mean, I mean enemies want to know. They want to cat, And they look at Daniel's life and they can't find a thing. There, there, there's nothing to trip them up wrong. You know what we're looking at here, folks? We're just looking at good, clean, consistent, right living. You know, you know what Daniel is showing us? And I, and I bet I know I didn't. You probably don't think of this as a habit, but Daniel is showing us a habit of obedience. His habit, his default mode is to obey. Now, I don't think that means Daniel uh, never made a mistake. I don't think that means Daniel never sinned. I don't think that means Daniel was living a, a perfect life. He's not showing us a perfect life, but what he is absolutely showing us is a life that by default, a life that habitually tells the truth, habitually gives forgiveness, habitually asks for forgiveness, habitually is kind respects authority, respects parents, honors marriage, honors the Lord, tells, tells the truth. This is, this is what he habitually does, is sexually pure by habit. That, that, that is the habit of his life. And you know what? It, it makes your life strong. When, when, you're, when you're living like that, folks, obedience is a life that works. When you're, when you're obeying the Lord, you don't have to spend any time at all thinking about how you're going to undo something, how you're going to cover something up. It, it's a life that works. There's nothing to jump up and bite you. There's nothing to jump up and catch you. Now, what I'd love to say is, boy, if you'll habitually obey, nobody will ever lie about you. If you'll habitually obey, nobody will ever set a trap from you. But obviously, that's not the case, right? He's showing us a life that habitually blazed, and he was lied about. A, a, a trap was set for him. Hey, folks, it may not protect you from that, but at least make it hard on your enemies. <laughs> at least make them work at catching you. You ever stopped and thought about this? You're going to have enemies whether you obey the Lord or disobey the Lord. Having enemies is not the variable here. You're going to have enemies. You're going to have people who want wrong for you. At least make them work at it. When you and I disobey, we're putting something into the hands of our enemies. Even if they commit the same sins. Even if they do the same things. You're still putting something in their hands. Listen, obedience is such an incredibly strong and confident platform to work from in life. You know, another way to think about that is when, when obedience is your habit, you always know what to do next. You, you always know what, if, if obedience is what you do, you always know what to do next. Think about how strong that makes you. Think about how many nights you've been awake. Think about the worry, the stress that comes from, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to cover this up? What, what am I going to do here? How, how, how is this going to happen? And you know what, folks? I'm not suggesting that every question you have, every uh, decision that you're trying to make, you can go directly to a verse in the Bible that will say, do this. But you know what? The commands in Scripture actually do cover a wide spectrum of life. 
And when you're bringing those commands into your life, watch and see just how much you always know what to do next. The habit of obedience is a life that works. It is a strong life. It is a confident life. Now, there's a second habit that Daniel shows us. This one probably does jump out at you a little bit easier. You you see this one a little clearer. He obviously has the habit of prayer, doesn't he? Look what it says here in, in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew the law was in place. He knew what this could mean. He knew what could happen. He went to his house. He got down on his knees and he prayed. You know, the reason I talk about habits, folks, is things in our life that are just locked in no matter what's going on. Boy, we live in a world where things change all the time. Maybe you like the change. Maybe you don't like the change. Schedules. <laughs> Schedules change. Politics change. Issues change. Things at work change. Our teacher changes. Our health changes. The weather change. Everything changes. But clearly for Daniel, no matter what is changing in the world, there's one thing that doesn't change in his life. He prays. He prays. And do you notice, as I read that story, and I don't know, maybe it didn't include every detail, but there appears to be absolutely no drama in what he's doing. And when I say no drama, what do I mean by that? Well, okay, so we're, we're, we're going to leave here in a few minutes. and get in the car, drive home. Let's say somewhere along about uh, Thursday, news comes on and an executive order has been signed and we're not going to be allowed to pray for the, the rest of the summer. And if we do, we'll be, we'll be executed, be punishable by death. Uh, you know, Congress enacts a law. You can never pray uh, again. Okay, now, number one, I'm guessing attendance is going to be a little lower next Sunday. I don't know. What do you think? But secondly, I really believe we're going to walk through those doors next Sunday outside of our ever-loving mind. We're going to be weeping and wailing. Oh, my gosh, what is, what is happening in our country? What is happening to us? What, what are we going to... What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you, you, don't, you don't see any of that going on with Daniel. You say, well, maybe it left it out. Maybe it did, but... Even the way, even the details it does give us, doesn't it just read like, I'm going to do what I do. I pray. I pray. That's, that's what I'm going to do. He's not wondering. He's not stressed. He's not worried. I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray. Because prayer is my habit. Obeying the command to pray is my habit. Now, obviously, it's at this point in the story that we start to move into, that we start to move into the part of the story gets kind of exciting. You know, I mean, we got, we got kind of a miracle thing going on here. We got kind of a big thing happening. Boy, I want to dig into that. Folks, I, I want to I suggest to you something about what we're seeing in the life of Daniel. I could preach the exact same sermon if Daniel was eaten in that den. You realize the point of Daniel chapter 6, it is not if you pray and if you obey, everything comes up roses. You'll you'll be golden. Because actually, I don't have to look out into the reality of the world. I can look in Scripture. God shows me. God knows this. He's not hiding anything. God will show me not just a Daniel. He'll show me other people who when they prayed, when they obeyed, they got mocked. When they prayed and obeyed, they were imprisoned. 
When they prayed and obeyed, they actually did die. They were executed. And God looks at the Daniel. God looks at the one who was executed to both of them, to all of us in between. He says, and I expect you to be ready and willing. No matter the cost. And so that leaves me wondering, how, how, did, how was Daniel willing? I mean, you realize, folks, I mean, it said there very clearly, knowing the law had been signed. I mean, you, you realize, kind of put yourself in his place. He's walking home. You ever walked up to your house, turned down the driveway? You're walking into the house. When I get in there, I'm going to pray. It may be my last time to pray. I, 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 may, I may be dead in the morning. And it doesn't look like he skips a step. He just walks right into that house. Windows open. I'm not hiding what I'm doing. I'm not hiding who I love. And I'm not hiding who loves me. And he bows on his knees. And, and, he, and he prays. So how, how did he enter that house and do that? How was he? I mean, you know, I, I would imagine a lot of us would like to say, I'm, I'm, I'd be willing. But I sure hope I never have to find out. How was he willing to pay that price? Just looking, I'm just looking at Daniel 6. I'm just looking at his life. And I've I've come to the opinion that this is how Daniel did it. For Daniel, there was no cost. Obviously, there was a cost. He was arrested. He was thrown in. He could have been been killed. He knows he could. Let me say it again. For Daniel, there was no cost. I think to explain it, let me... Let me take the words of Paul and put them in the mouth of Daniel. For me to live is Christ. To die? Now we're really talking. Now the profit, now the gain, now the reward really comes. You see, I think with with a person like a Paul, with a Daniel, there is such a depth of relationship with God, with his heaven... That, that it leaves me, listen, the only reason I'm on this earth is to know him, love him, and serve him. And if I die, well, then I really get to know him and love him and serve I can't lose today. You understand what I mean now when I say, Daniel, there, there, I don't think he was saying, oh, can I do this, boy? Can I pay this cost? I think he walked right in there. There's no cost to pay. I, I, I win if I pray and enjoy God's presence. And boy, if I die, woo, I'm really going to get to enjoy God's presence. N- now, ha- ha- how does that happen for you and me? How do we have that kind of, of depth of relationship? Hey, folks, watch Daniel's life come full circle. Because to my knowledge, there's only two places you can build a depth of relationship with the Lord like that. Prayer. And obedience. It's in prayer that I'm, I'm spending time with God. I'm loving God. I'm learning about God. I'm, he's loving me. I'm, I'm growing in the Lord. And, and what about obedience? You know, obedience is hard, isn't it? it it's, hard, it's hard to obey. Not every command, but we all have a good list of commands. We find that hard to Why, do, why is it hard to? Sometimes it's hard to obey because there is a cost. There is a cost at work. There is a cost among that group of of friends. There's a cost if I obey. And folks, let's be honest. Sometimes it's hard to to obey. And it ain't because of cost. I just don't want to. I I just don't want to obey. 
But when I choose to trust that God's word knows more than I do, as much as I have my other ideas and designs on this moment, God's word knows more than I do. When I step into that obedience, man, folks, that's where you experience God. That's where you find out how good he is. That's where you find out how good his word is. That's where you find out what he can be for you. And hey, if while you're doing that, they kill you, boy, you're really going to find out how real God is. And that's just all gain. Prayer and obedience. You know, I I think, I don't think like you and I, like like Daniel, I don't think you and I are are ever going to be challenged by this with lions. I I, I don't think we're going to be thrown into a lion. I mean, anything's possible. But I don't perceive that's, that's on the radar for us. But you know, really, you could call the lion's den a, a, a crisis of faith. We have those places in life. Sometimes we see them coming and we're kind of prepared for it. Other times we don't see it coming and we're not prepared for it. But we have those places where we're going to be tested about who, who is God to me? What is God to me? Who am I and what am I with God? And we're going to have a crisis of faith. And that lion's den, that crisis, it, it can happen in my finances. It can happen in my family. It, it, it can happen at work. It can happen in some personal challenges. It, it can happen in unmet expectations failed expectations, but all of a sudden, there I am. What habits are going to guide you through that moment? What habits are going to sustain you, give you strength, and guide you in what to do next? You know, I, I, think, if, if, I think if Daniel could, could rise up and speak to us today, he would say, you know, if I were y'all, I would do everything I could the rest of this summer So that by September 1st, 2019, prayer and obedience is the habit of your life. Now, what what would you and I do between now and and August 30th? Is there 30 days in August or 31? So now between now and August 31st, like I said, what what are we going to do between now and then so that prayer and obedience is, is the habit of our lives? Let me give you three ideas. They're, they're not three things I'm going to put a verse with, or this is what Daniel said. Just, just three ideas. How would this become a habit in, in my life? Number one, work at it every day like it's the most important thing you will do that day. Now, I would imagine a lot of us can read that and run right by it and not think of it as much help. Because we would say, I'm, I, I believe a lot of us would say, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I'm quite at the place where prayer and obedience is the habit of my life, but I've done number one. I mean, I actually believe I'm in a, I'm in a room of people that work at prayer, right? You, 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 you work at, a, you care about it, you want to be obedient, you, you work at obeying. But folks, by and large, we don't work at it every day. And we don't work at it like it's the most important thing we do every single day. See, there's a difference. There's a big difference. If I want this to be a habit in my life, it listen, everything I'm going to do today, I'm going to be at work, I'm going to be on vacation, I've got a meeting, I'm all by myself. Listen, that's just the theater. That's just the playing ground where I'm going to live out prayer, I'm going to live out obedience. Maybe you're doing something really important to your life today. It's not more important than prayer and obedience. And prayer and obedience is where you'll go do that thing that is so important. Work at it every day like it's the most important thing we do that day. Number two, get help. Get get, get help. What do I mean by get help? You know, ask somebody to pray for you. Ask somebody to pray with you. 
Ask somebody to do this together with you. You know, here again, folks, I know that I'm talking to a room full of people that, that by and large, your friends are Christians. I mean, you've, some of you, they're in here in the room with you. And we worship together, we go to small group together, we go to life group, you know, we, we, oh, we, we just went to, on a mission trip together. We've got people all through our lives that we're doing Christian stuff with. And I would still say to that very room, to you and to me, we spend way too much of our spiritual lives entirely isolated. Being in this room right here, right now, we spend too much of our journey with Christ following him all alone. The truth of the matter is you and I would not tell another Christian at all of any significant frustration or failure in our lives with the Lord. We're not going to communicate our weakness. We're not going to communicate our inconsistencies. We're not going to challenge each other in that way. And folks, nowhere in Scripture did God call you to follow Christ alone. That's why we have it written out there. It's not a cliche. Life is better connected. And it's not just for pizza. No, life is better connected when you need. Hey, man, I got something really significant I'd like to happen in my life. And I've actually built relationships where I can go to people and say, man, I'll tell you something. I'm not very good at prayer. Forget about being consistent at it. I'm not even good at doing it. Would you help me? Would you do that? Maybe your friend will say, I don't know how good I am. Well, let's go get him and let's all figure this out together. See, we're not doing that. And you really actually want prayer and obedience to be a happy life? I really encourage you to get some help. Number three, identify where obedience is most lacking and go to work there first. You know what I'm going to do here is I'm going to prove, and I needed to prove this to myself, I'm going to approve that obedience and disobedience actually is little more than a habit you and I have formed in our lives. You know, if you're like me, I mean, obviously, there's any sin that we can commit, And in the course of our lives, there are many sins that we do commit. But if you're like me, you've also got like three or four that you've become like professionals at, right? You you, you got three or four sins. You just seem to constantly be back there, be back in that place, be back in that failure over. You almost, have you ever had a sin? You almost just feel ridiculous trying to say you're sorry to the Lord. I don't even believe my sorry. Why would God? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Am I all alone in this? Okay, let me tell you what those three or four sins are. Because you oh, I'm a bad Christian. I don't, I, maybe I just don't know how to make this Christian thing work. Oh, I'm just too overwhelmed and tempted. Yeah, maybe. But more than likely, all that has happened, folks, is that's the habit you developed. You habitually respond to the emotion of anger in that way. You, you habitually respond to the need to be in control in that way. You habitually look for pleasure in that way. You habitually get even in that way. In other words, an emotion goes off inside us or we land in a certain circumstance and we just do what we've always done. We, we do what's natural. We do what's automatic. I think I just described a habit. It's just, it's just my habit. My, my brain doesn't even have to be engaged. I just, blah, oh, and then I feel so sorry. But Man, it's a habit. You got to break the habit. How am I going to break the habit? Work at it every day. <laughs> like it's the most important thing. Get help. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gosh, thank you for showing us the life of Daniel.
Thank you for showing us not a perfect person, not a super Christian, not somebody so incredibly different from us. You showed us somebody just like us, lived a real life, walked down a real street, walked in through a real front door, and he got down on his knees and he prayed. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for every one of us that we could develop the habit of prayer and obedience. God, could we want this so much that literally by August 31st, 2019, prayer and obedience is the habit of our lives. So much so that our enemies can count on it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.